shall be called wonderful. Isaiah 9, 6 says, and he truly is wonderful. Ask uh, Charlie Belcher, can you hear me back there? Uh, no, you cannot hear me. Okay, okay. Um, Jenny, can you hear me back there? Okay, you may want to knock me up just a little bit because it's probably not going to get any better. Uh, <coughs> I'll do the best that I can. Ephesians chapter 3. Many years ago, I uh, received a call from a friend of mine that I knew back in the 70s, and we made small talk for a few moments, and he lived in Virginia at the time when he made the call. And then he said, Rick, I, I called you to ask you to forgive me. Well, immediately I thought, well, why in the world is he asking me to forgive him? He's never offended me, ever. He was a good friend of mine. He was an introvert. He was quiet. And I couldn't think of anything he needed to seek my forgiveness for. And I said, well, there's, there's nothing that you've ever done to me that's ever offended me. And he said, well, I do need to seek your forgiveness. I, I have, my life has not been given to the Lord like it should have been and f- for much of my life. And just recently, about three or four months ago, I surrendered my life fully to the Lord and I want to live for Him. And I feel like I wasted much of my life. And I just wanted you to forgive me for not being the kind of friend that I could have been to you and, and your mom and dad. I love your parents. And I love you and Paula. And I love Hoss and Melanie. And I, would you forgive me? I said, most certainly I will. But I want you to know that really there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no aught in my heart at all where I have ever thought one day or one moment that I need to forgive you for anything. He said, well, I, I felt like I, I needed to make this call and, and to seek your forgiveness. I said, well, brother, that's fine. And if you need that, I forgive you. And I went in and told Paula what had happened. And then a few days later, we went, um, at the time, my parents lived one street away. In fact, we bought the house we live in now because it was walking distance, literally uh, maybe less than 50 yards from where we lived because my father traveled a lot and we could be close to my mom if she needed us. And uh, that was God provided a home over there for us to to have. So we would frequent our parents' home a lot. So we went over there and I sat down. And after a few minutes, my mom said, Rick, she said, you will never believe who called me the other day. And I said, well, who, Mom? And it was the same friend. 
Well, I I just played ignorant for a moment. I said, he did. I said, what did he call for? She said, he called to ask for my forgiveness. And I said, well, you don't need my forgiveness. You've never done anything to to wound me or hurt me. But he insisted, and it was the same, same things. And probably about uh, eight or nine months passed, and I was preaching in a church in Virginia, and now he was driving a bus for a singing group. And he did this for many years, maybe 15 or 16 years. And that singing group was there then, but I didn't know he was driving that bus for them. I didn't know he was there. And Paul and I were there together. And we were in the foyer after the service. And somebody came up from behind me and gave me this huge bear hug. Now, I'm bigger than him, but they they grabbed me. And I turned around, and it was this man that had called me and called my mom. And I looked at him, and I knew him, but I didn't recognize him. And here's why. His face was so bright. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about uh, having light in your eyes he had bright eyes his face was lit up and his personality was different now i liked his personality before don't misunderstand but there, there was a joy there was an enthusiasm there was something in his life that was not there before and it has stayed there and i've said this on a number of times publicly that I've never seen anyone change like that man has, like my friend. He was probably in his mid-30s when this happened. I was preaching at his brother's church. And I was preaching a message on how that God changes us. Five ways that God, five tools that God uses to change us. And uh, I closed out the sermon with a story about his brother. And I made the comment, I said, I don't know that I've ever seen a person change as deep as him, as obvious him. But he, he, he didn't curse, he didn't swear, he was faithful to church. But there was such a magnetic difference in him. And it's not like he became extroverted, but, but there was something different in him. And in the service there, where his brother's church, I shared about him calling me. When I finished the, the message, his brother came up and shared with the church. He said, what Rick said is true. He said, I've never seen anybody in my life change like my brother. And he said, when Rick said that he called him and he called his mom, he said, he called me too. And he said, I want you to forgive me for the same things. And I want to ask you a question today. This, this this humility, this this deep work of brokenness that, that God did in my brother's life, not my physical brother, but my spiritual brother I'm speaking of, that greatly impacted him. But in impacting him, it, it gave him a greater impact within the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you like 
to have something like that happen to you. And if it were to happen, what areas in your life are, are you aware that you say, I need God to help to polish and prune this in my life to help me become more fruitful? And I'm going to finish this message today, the third message I preached on, on biblical principles of change and growth, of change and growth. I gave you a simple statement that all improvement requires change, but all change is not improvement. You can change things, that doesn't mean it's improvement, but if you improve, you will change. And God is in the improvement business And he wants to change me. He wants me to be a better husband, a better father, and a better pastor, and a better friend, and a better fill-in-the-blank. God wants me to increase and to grow and to be more like Jesus as we sing. What does God want to do in your life? There's two overarching principles in in these series of messages. Uh, I'm giving five principles. I'm just going to give you the last three this morning. The first principle I'm giving is that growth increases our impact. That if you want to impact people, you have to grow. Uh, if you're not growing, you're, gotten, you're not going to impact. I tell young people all the time, if you want to get promoted, don't focus on the promotion. Focus on growth. Focus on getting better. Focus on excellence. Get your eye off of the position. That can create wrong motives. It it can build a shortcut mentality in you. Just focus on getting better. Let God promote you. But increase in growth always increases your impact. Living things grow. And if Christ Jesus lives in you, if you've been born again and he lives in you, you're, you're going to grow. You're going to have a desire to grow. Here's a scripture I want you to look at with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I want to add something to it uh, that I I didn't put in last week. But in Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 20 with me. This is a prayer here uh, at the division of the chapter here before chapter 4. And uh, the writer says, "Unto, unto him that is able to do. So God is able. What is he able to do? Exceeding abundantly above all. Now you could take uh, all of those out and say God is able to do all we ask or think. But God, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. When I ask you, what do you want to improve? What do you want to change? What is God speaking to you about? God wants to do above that. You can't comprehend. You can't think. You can't think about it. You can't ask. Your request isn't big enough. Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And here's how he does it. It's not through your self-help manual. It's not through your motivation. It's not through your self-effort. It's it's by the Holy Spirit of God. According to the power that worketh in us. And the Holy Spirit is a person, and He is a change agent. He's there to comfort you. He's there to teach you, 
to bring you from ignorance to light, to change your grief to joy. He's there to to bring conviction, to, to bring your unholiness to righteousness. He is a change agent according to the power that worketh in us. Now look at this in verse 21. Unto him, look at it, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Do you know how God receives glory in a church? It's not through the crowd unless the crowd is becoming like Jesus. God is glorified by people that are growing like Jesus that it's so obvious that like my friend, I mentioned, you say, I've never seen anybody change like that. And some of you know what it is. If you could just take those nine qualities in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, long-suffering. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm very sorry. If you take those... And find out what what is the quality that God wants to change in your life and increase. Paul often prayed in in First Thessalonians. He said, I, "I want your faith to increase. I want your love to increase, and I hope that there will be a holy dissatisfaction." So the overarching principle that growth increases our impact. And here's the one I want to. Hone in on today and give you some application that growth is organic. It's something God does, but it's also related to our response to God. God helps you grow. God gives you the desire to grow, but God also gives you responsibility. God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Let me give you a definition. It's not the definition, but it is a definition of faith. Faith is doing all that you can do and trusting God to do what you cannot. Faith is doing all you can do and trusting God to do what you cannot. Now, the good news is, is in the first part, God will help you bring the resources even to help you do what you can do. He's in on that part, the unseen part. But God will not do what we can do. But growth growth is organic. Uh, the local church is an organism, not just an organization. I've taught you that because it's biblical. You cannot organize life. Now, if it's disorganized, it becomes a cancer in the cell world. So it's an organized organism. But growth, growth, is, growth is organic, and, and you have to respond to that. Now, let me give you an illustration. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he did his part. But in John chapter 11 and verse 44, the Bible says, Lazarus, he that was dead, came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin, and Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Jesus did what nobody else could do. He raised him from the dead, but he left some responsibilities for them to do. And that's the way it is in your Christian life. 
God will do what you cannot do, but He has given some things that you must do. Now, let me give you some points here. Let me give you some some thoughts on, on, on growth and change. I hope you'll write some of these down. Number one, growth is motivated by discontentment. Now, I want to borrow your ears here for just a moment. It's motivated by, by discontentment. Now, there is a holy discontentment. Now, God, God talks about being content. And I believe we ought to be content with what we have, but discontent with what we are. Now, there's a little balancing act there. We ought to be content all the time, but I think we got it backwards. We're discontent with what we have, but we're content with what we are. Well, I'll just be content with my place in church and my service, but there's not a holy discontentment. Now, here's what David wrote. And when I put this down, I thought about my family that's in heaven and my friends that are in heaven. Here's what David said in Psalm 17, 15. Look at this. As for me, I will behold, he's speaking to God, I will behold thy face in righteousness. Look at this. I shall be satisfied. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Now, you know that sleep in the Bible is a metaphor for death. And he's saying, when I awake on resurrection morning, when I awake from the sleep of death in heaven, there's going to be a satisfaction that I've never known. Now, here's what that means, that in this life, we're going to have a holy itch. And only... It will only be completely done away with, ultimately, when we see Jesus. And then our mind, mentally, our body, and our soul will be completely healed. There will be no suffering. There will be no pain. There will be no unanswered questions. And all of those things will be reconciled. And there will be a holy satisfaction. And so in this life, there, there ought to be a holy discontentment and I want to ask you a question are you are, are you contented with where you are spiritually but you're discontented with what you have you have it backwards now I'm walking a tightrope here because I think that you ought to be contented some because I'll show you in a minute that, that you gradually grow you're, you're not going to get everything at once. We have all of our blessings at God's disposal. But there's a sense God doesn't want you to be miserable. So there's a twin word I want you to put up there. That growth is not only motivated by discontentment, but it's also motivated by discomfort. Growth is motivated by discomfort. So when God gives you problems, it's an opportunity to grow. You know, one way I'm, I said a while ago about getting promoted and stop looking at the, the position and, and just grow. Well, here's a way to get promoted is solve problems. Anybody can identify problems. I will assure you, if you solve problems at work, you're going to be your boss's biggest fan. 
rather than bringing him problems. I, I told our staff, especially when we had a larger staff years ago, I, I said, when you come to me, bring solutions. I said, it's not like I don't want to know the problem. I do. But if four people bring me, it's called upper delegation. You're bringing me four problems with all the other ones. You're not helping me. I want to know the problem, but say, okay, here's what we got going. And give me some solutions. Here's two or three things I've thought of. And I will appreciate that. And by the way, I try to do that for others too, as I'm able to do that. So there's a discontentment and there's a, there's a discomfort, whether it's, it's problems or it may be pain, it may be suffering, it may be an enemy. But the very things that we don't want is we want to be comfortable. We want to be contented. Warren Wiersbe taught me this. He said, God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And he will let you be uncomfortable to give you character, to make you like Jesus. And that's true. Comfort is an enemy of growth. And so God uses suffering. He uses pain to develop you, to make you uncomfortable, to cultivate you, to polish you, to grow you. If you're not, you you just get comfortable and you get contented. So some of you, here's what I want you to think of. Where is the place of your pain? That's where God wants to grow you. And most of us, here's what we do immediately. We start we start praying to remove, to remove the pain. We say, God, remove my suffering. Say, God's not answering my prayer. Oh, yes, He is. He gave you that person. He gave you that problem. He gave you that difficult situation because He's trying to grow you. And just maybe, just maybe if you'll grow, He'll remove the problem. Paul prayed three times, and these were long times of prayer, not just three meal-type prayers. He prayed, God, remove this thorn in my flesh. And God said, no, you're going to have that till you die. I have an idea what it was, but I can't prove it, but I think the Bible speaks to it. But it, it was painful. It hurt him. And from Paul's opinion, he thought, I can do the ministry better. It's affecting my ministry. Paul said, no, it's helping your ministry. From your perspective, Paul, it's affecting your ministry. From my perspective, it's not hindering you. It's helping you because it's making you humble. It's making you depend upon me. So what what, what are your problems? What are your pains? Quit kicking back at God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Psalm 119, verses 69 and 71 and 73 speak to this about how, how we learn the Scriptures. You see the Psalms, especially you see the Bible differently when, when you see your suffering. I want to quote a little uh, poem to you. Listen to this poem. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. 
And not a word said she. But oh, the words I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And that's true. In the good times, we don't learn as much because we're just having fun and we're, there's nothing wrong with them. Don't misunderstand. I'd sure, in my flesh, rather have good things than, than bad things. But growth is motivated by discontentment and discomfort. Paul said in Philippians three thirteen and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Remember how that's a term policemen will use, that we apprehended the criminal. We caught him. Paul said this, I, I haven't caught Christ fully yet. I don't know him fully But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Remember that? See this? In the past. And I'm reaching forth in the future under those things which are before. And presently I'm pressing toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, which which is the will of God for his life. And most of the time when we hear that taught, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. Well, you need to forget your sins and forget your past and God. Well, that's true. But in that passage, Paul's talking about I was a Pharisee. I was a tribe of Benjamin. He talks about all these good things. All of these successes in the world's eyes. And then he says in that same passage, I count them but dung. To know Christ. They're not anything. And what he's saying is even the best is nothing compared with Jesus. Some of you need to forget the things that you've been resting your laurels in. And just kind of resting in that, man, I'm, I'm in the apex. Growth is motivated by discontentment and discomfort. What in your life is uncomfortable that God wants to change? You need to look there. It's a clue. It's a divine clue that God is troubling you. A relationship at work. Maybe something in your body. But but you need to listen and, and go to God with this. Number two, growth requires a strategy. It requires a strategy. Now, this time of year, people are writing down goals. More people write them down. I read a statistic that people that write down goals accomplish more in totality. It's a minority of people that write down goals than all the people that don't. Because of their focus. But someone said this one time. That hope is not a strategy. And I concur with them a little bit. Now stay with me. Please listen. Hope is not a strategy. Um, You know, I hope somebody put some gas in the car. I hope we, you know, whatever. Hope is not a strategy. But now hope in God is a strategy. 
Now, you may say, well, preacher, what do you do if I have a goal and God has given me a focus, but it's hazy? Now, I'm going to give you a scripture. In fact, I want you to look it up. Turn to Proverbs 16. I want you to underline this verse. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. Proverbs 16, 3. And th- this is a verse that, that means the world to me. Look what it says. Commit thy works unto the Lord. Now, this, is, this is your plan. This is your desire. This is what you want to do. So you, you give this to God. Surrender that to God. That's your part. And thy thoughts shall be established. The word established means to be firmed up. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. So when I say growth requires a strategy, find out what God wants you to do, and God will give you the strategy. Especially if it's if it's a God focused vision. It's a, it's a God focused purpose. Uh, what, what is? How does God want you to grow your marriage? How does He want you to grow your parenting? How does He want you to grow your life group? It's going to be different for different people. There are some common principles. Commit your works. Commit your marriage. Commit your parenting. Commit your filling the blank under the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So the first part is my part. The second part is God's part. He gives me the specifics. And I think sometimes we say, okay, here's my goal, and here's how I'm going to accomplish. Now, that's not wrong, but it needs to be flexible. In fact, sometimes your goal needs to be flexible. And, And just sometimes God may change that. And just be flexible. We talked about in our men's meeting yesterday a little bit. Just be flexible a little bit and listen to God. And let me show you how this works. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered. Now, this is a church at Corinth. Apollos came in after Paul and he ministered there. Well, that was man's part, but God gave the increase. God came in and he did what only he could do. So, you know, you have a goal. You, you do what you can do. But you can, God's going to do his part, and you commit your work, and God will establish the thoughts. He'll give you some details. He'll do some things you can't. God can do more for you in five minutes than you can do in 500 years. You've got to listen to him. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Really, the human element is nil. God just chooses to use us. Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Listen to him. Get your plans from him. Get your goals from him. And then Joseph, one other illustration here. And the patriarchs, these are Joseph's brothers, okay? They moved with envy and they sold Joseph. Remember the story in Genesis. But God was with Joseph. They dis- God disrupted their plans. Their goals didn't come to fruition. And it's a good thing they would have died. He's the one that saved them. But God was with him. And God delivered him. See God's hand on him? Out of all his affliction. And God gave Joseph favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. 
king of Egypt. And God made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Isn't that remarkable? God's going to intervene, and you need to be flexible. And in a sense, yeah, hope is not a strategy. You need to, but but hope in God is. You need to be tuned into God. And so growth requires a strategy, and your strategy is God. So, so yeah, you do have a part. So start writing. Uh, let me give you a clue about writing, okay? And you're, you may not write like this, but you have basically two drafts. You have more than that, but if you write well. The first draft, you write with your heart. The second draft, you write with your head. The first draft, you're just getting stuff on paper. People that write with your head first, they never get anything down because they want it to be perfect. They want the sentences to be perfect and the ideas and the paragraph. They never get anything written. So the first draft, you write with your heart and then you come back and you clean it up and you find it, well, that's redundant. I, I got too much in there. I look at some older things that I've written and I, I want to go back and clean them up. Well, that's kind of the way you do goals. The first draft is you just, you're maybe the beginning of this is what I want to do. Well, the second draft comes along and COVID hit us or or you get sick and you can't talk or other things happen and now your goals are, are a little bit different and they're better. And God maybe made you uncomfortable in an area. You get the idea, okay? So you need a strategy, but make it flexible. Listen to God. Don't be so stubborn. I uh, let me give you some examples. Okay, I, I had a reading plan. I still have a reading plan, and so I uh, I have different categories of books. I read from history. I read from biography. I read about church ministry, and then under church ministry, I have a sub list of topics, and then I read. Uh, some things on science I read on uh, current events, and, and I, I made a list of about 27 different different topics, and some of them had subtopics. And I can't do that all the time. And then I rotate the topics. And then on, on, on Monday, I'll read. Now, this is for me. This is not for you. Okay, Some of you may want to do it, but some of you are going to say, well, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, this is for me. But I organize it. So on Monday, I'm going to read uh, biography, and I'm going to read uh, just history. That's what I'm going to do. And I have books assigned to that. And then on Tuesday, I have this category. And on Wednesday, I do this. And I'm plowing through these different sorts of books to help me be balanced. Now, you say, why do you do that? Well, because I'm a preacher. And I'm looking for stories, and I don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And I want to deepen my life. I read theology, and I want to increase. I want to be better for you. I want to be better for me. I read about family. I read about grandparenting. I read about friendship. I read about preaching all the time, all the time. Because I, I, I don't want to be static. Um, if you want to me- memorize a book of the Bible, you'll never do it. And maybe you don't want to. But if, if you want to do it, how do you 
eat an elephant one bite at a time. You do it two or three verses at a time. Uh, James, a servant of Jesus Christ, said, twelve tribes of Israel. And then you remember James chapter one and verse one. Then you go to verse two, verse three, and then you, and then you go to verses four and five, and then you go back and review verses three through one through three, and then review four and five. And then you do them all together. And then you do six and seven, and then you go back and do three through five, and then four, and, and so forth. Oh, that takes a long time, but you, you'll memorize a book, and it's not so you can tell people it's to feed your soul. But you have a strategy. I put this down. Many Christians are lazy, and that's why they're not disciples. Uh, the word at the root word for in Latin for disciple is the word discipline. The word disciple means a learner, but they are a disciplined learner. So, so they give themselves to it. One man I read after, here's what he said, and I like this. I'll give it to you. Maybe it will help you. Write down your goals, make plans to achieve them, and work on your plans every single day. And that's so simple. Write down your goals, make plans to achieve them, and work on your plans every single day. That sounds so simple. But see, things come and bump us. But most people don't don't have written written clear goals with with timelines on them. And so, um, where where do your relationships fit in all of this? And, and again, I'm going to bump in a little bit what I taught Armin yesterday. This I didn't go into all of this, but just a little bit. <coughs> where do your your spouse and your children? Because your schedule is going to get eaten up by by other people, and your work. Uh, you know, other people have a plan for your life, and uh, you, you need to know what's important to you. What do you value? I read this little story; and it helped me. Some of you have heard this. Forgive me; I've given it, but it's been a while. So, let me read. It won't take long. This man attended school. The professor was lecturing on time. At one point, he said, okay, it's time for a quiz. He reached under the table and pulled out a wide mouth gallon jar. He set the jar on the table next to a platter, and on the platter were some fist-sized rocks. The professor said, how many of these rocks do you think we can get in the jar? After we all made our guess, he said, well, let's find out. He set one rock in the jar, then another, then another. I don't remember how many he got in, but he got the jar full. And then he asked, is that jar full? Everybody looked at the rocks, looked at each other, said, well, yes. He said, oh. Then he reached under his table and pulled out a bucket of gravel. He dumped some gravel in and shook the jar, and the gravel went in all the little spaces left by the big rocks. And then he smiled and said again, is the jar full? And we caught on and said, well, probably not. Good, he said. And he reached under the table and brought out a bucket of sand. 
And he started dumping the sand in, and he went in all the little places left by the rocks and the gravel. And once more, he looked at us, and he said, is the jar full? And we all roared, no. He said, good. And he reached under his lectern again and pulled out a pitcher of water and began to pour the water in. And he got something like a quart of water in that jar. And it was totally full. And he said, now, students, what is the point? Someone finally raised their hand and said, well... The point is there are gaps. Remember, they're talking about time. There are gaps, and if you really work at it, you can always fit more into your life. He said, no, that's not the point. The point is this. If I hadn't put those big rocks in first, would I have ever gotten any of them in? I'll never forget when I read that story for the first time. And it motivated me to the point that I've mentioned it here before. It's been a long time since I've read that. And I said, I'm going to put the big rocks in. You know what my big rocks are? My time alone with God. My time with my wife. My time with my family. My sermon preparation time. Pastoring this church my friends, and then whatever else can get in that jar. What are your big rocks? There's a difference, listen carefully, there's a difference in prioritizing your schedule and scheduling your priorities. Some of you manage your schedule by just prioritizing the list. Well, here's ten things. I, here, I'll just, and what you do is you put the rocks at eight or nine. You need to schedule your priorities and put them and make sure that those people in your ministry, some of you, your ministry is not a big rock, and that's why it never, you don't have a ministry or it's not important because everything else comes in. So, what are three things if you accomplish them in the next 12 months would give you an incredible return? Here's what you do, and I'm almost finished. I'm going to give you one more idea. We, me and you, we we overestimate what we can do in a week. And we underestimate what we can do in a year. You can get a lot done in a year. But you get frustrated in a week. But just keep, keep working. And that leads me to number three. Growth is motivated by discomfort. Growth requires a strategy. Number three, growth is gradual. It's gradual. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. Mile by mile takes a while. It just takes time. And sometimes you feel like I'm not making progress. Stay by the stuff. Be patient. It's like you're putting money aside. It compounds. And your faithfulness compounds. Just keep on doing it. I heard this many years ago, and it helped me. And I taught it to my kids. I won't teach it to you. It's been a long time since I've said this, but I used to say this to you a lot. You can pay now and play later, 
or you can play now and pay later. Young people, listen. You can pay now and play later. Or you can play now and pay later. But either way, you're going to pay. But if you pay later, you're going to pay more. And it's going to involve some pain. So pay up front. You learn more. You enjoy more. And the truth is you're going to be paying all of your life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with open face. It means they didn't have that cloth on their face. Moses didn't. He had the glory of God. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. That means like Jesus. Now look at this. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now do you see that from glory to glory? The Bible talks about from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. It takes time. It's gradual. Change, change, change isn't like that. It takes time. But, but let God do his patient work in your life. I heard about a man. He said, when I was young, I was a revolutionary. My prayer to God was, God, give me the energy to change the world. But nothing happened. And then I approached middle age, and I realized that my life was half gone without me changing a single soul. And I changed my prayer. Lord, give me the grace to change all those who come into contact with me. Just my family and friends, and I'll be satisfied with that. But now I'm an old man, and my days are numbered, and I've learned how foolish I've been. And now I have one prayer. It's, Lord, give me the grace to change myself. Because if I prayed for this from the start, I would not have wasted my life. Because your friend, your growth is not just about you. You're going to impact your spouse. You're going to impact your children. You're going to impact this church. You're going to impact people when you grow. I want you to bow your heads with me. You've been so attentive this morning.